party people. Welcome to the Party PhD podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Hubbard. We are still in our community engagement series where we talk about all things community-engaged practices, research, and educational psychology. I want to first acknowledge that party used to be a fun word associated with community and networking, but lately under the current campus climate has become synonymous with disrespect and danger. I believe this shows how quickly some communities can demonstrate power over other communities without ever acknowledging their position, power, and potential harm. As we continue in this podcast, I want to make it clear that the title Party PhD is meant to bring the lighthearted and exciting feeling of being in community with others. I also want to share publicly my commitment to ensure that the party doesn't become an echo chamber of those like me but rather a platform for diving deeply into the ways that we show up in communities. Today's episode is in response to and in reflection after our introduction to our class. In an effort to take the advice given during class by Dr. Delion Gray, I'm going to quote-unquote follow the spark. During class, the loosely formed image of Plato's allegory of the cave kept popping into my mind. I don't know where this came from, but truthfully, I haven't thought about it since my intro to philosophy class my junior year of college. I had to do a little Google search to remind me exactly what truths we're supposed to be gleaning from this analogy. Basically, in some form or fashion, the cave represents our imaginary world experienced through our senses. In several images that pop up when you search allegory of the cave, there is a source of light, actors with some type of puppets and prisoners who are unaware of the actors or the source of light that are watching the puppet show. This depiction is supposed to represent that we are all prisoners of our minds and simply believe what the world has put out for us to believe and only when we can recognize the puppet show, the actors, and the source of light can we truly be enlightened. Now, when we think about this philosophy, immediately I see some problematic beliefs in thinking that only those that have been enlightened are able to free the minds of other quote-unquote prisoners. This thought reminded me of a conversation from class surrounding hashtag Black in the Ivory on Twitter. The idea of gatekeeping was brought up in discussion, but it resonated with me a bit longer, and I was left with the question, in what ways am I gatekeeping? Or do I even realize when I'm gatekeeping? Or more importantly, in what ways do I believe that I've been enlightened in some way and must share my enlightenment to free others? Of course, I don't, I don't believe that I've been enlightened in some way, but maybe my actions are showing that. So I, I'm also left with the question, does research benefit the researcher or the greater good? In most cases, we like to believe that it's both, but the question remains. This week, I read through the article, Research Practice Partnerships, Building Two-Way Streets of Engagement by Singh, Easton, and Supley, published in 2017. In the article, authors highlight the complicated nature of a one-way relationship between researchers and practitioners. They point to the one-way street of bringing research to practice through three strategies they've identified. The first is improving research rigor. The second, improving strategies to push out more research. And three, increasing incentives and requirements for the adoption of evidence-based programs. But the authors highlight research practice partnerships as a different approach. They've identified mutualism, commitment to long-term relationships, and trusting relationships as the replacement to pushing research forward on the one-way street. 
When we investigate further, mutualism is the opposite of what we see in the cave. Mutualism is a way to begin with an understanding of mutual benefits and power with a transparent agenda between the practitioner and the researcher. There is no need for enlightenment as researchers and practitioners come together to make a mutual decision. The next is commitment to long-term relationships, which allows for these partnerships to grow and build knowledge together. But as we talked about last week in class, this takes time and may take longer than funding or prestige may allow. Finally, the authors touch on trusting relationships in a quote that, at least for me, embodies community-engaged practices. That quote is, Trust enables partners to continue coming back to the table together, even when evaluations and data analysis deliver bad news. Now, there's a lot to unpack in this quote. My first instinct is to think about in church, the table is a place of equality and mutuality. But I want to push that even further and ask, who is at the head of the table? Or is this a round table to avoid any one power holding entity? Who is sitting at the table and is there more space available? Who is missing from the table and who wasn't even invited? To continue the conversation around perception, power, and enlightenment, I attempted an illustration that draws attention to our perceived influence and our natural tendencies of focus between researcher, teacher, and student. I challenged the analogy of the cave by centering the student as the source of light or enlightenment. This may be a stretch, but I tried to follow the spark this week. As I was planning, and even now as I'm talking through, I'm realizing how even my mind has maybe been trapped by some of the old philosophies by old dead white guys. So as I move forward in this class and in my own journey, I'm making a further commitment to explore other philosophers who have more diverse identities. Until next time, I want to invite you to think deeply about the tables you're sitting at who is missing, and who will invite them.